Mate, someone's like petrol bomb my dad's car. All right, calm down. I've got the binoculars out. What can you see? Um, hang on. What? Blockbusters are shut down. Come back up. Not a blue light in sight. Hello and welcome back beyond the sofa. I'm Dave. And I'm Peter. And this week we're doing something a bit different. We're uh, reviewing a movie. But before we get into attacking the block, Peter, how was your week? Uh, busy. In <laughs> Auckland last week, preparing for another Auckland trip. Yeah, just a little bit, uh, despite that, just a little bit quiet in the weeks before. And uh, managed to fit in a movie viewing over the weekend, so that's good. Oh, what did you see? Attack the block. <laughs> You should say that. You did I ask. That one <laughs> yes. I've walked right into that one. <laughs> oh dear. How about you? Uh, pretty much the same. We're still, I think, dealing with the after effects of having a trip overseas. And hmm. you know, it's been nearly a month since we've been back, but there's still stuff to catch up on and things to do and backlogs of podcasts to listen to. And Are you back on New Zealand time watch. yet? Oh, we're back on New Zealand time, but I'm 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 a week out in Game of Thrones time, so I'm, I'm, I've got my fingers and my ears on the internet yeah, until don't go hopefully, outside. yeah, until hopefully tomorrow. I stayed off the internet all afternoon yesterday and managed to um, stay spoiler free, so you know it's worth it. Oh, good, definitely mm. good, definitely good. And that dates the podcast. <laughs> it does, it does. Well, nothing dates it more than that and other news. Yes, indeed. Um, silencing of Big Ben's bongs. At least it, no, it didn't have a spaceship crash into it. Quite. But in news even more shattering, possible a companion, but rumoured. Bradley Walsh, I know the name. I had to sort of pitch myself, no, not Bradley Wiggins, Bradley Walsh. He of the chase, whereas my father in law was constantly saying he was in EastEnders. That's what Street. I remember him off. But he's, he's also um, sort of a compare on various... Uh, to a variety yeah, shows. Variety shows. So it's Saturday night at the Palladium. Mm. which was Bruce Forsyth's gig uh, back in the day, R.I.P. R.I.P. Brucey, yes. I, d- I don't know. I mean, he does have acting chops. Mm. I, I'm i not sure. He did Sarah Jane Adventures where he, he played a scary clown. Yeah. So um, it's not out of the question. It's going to be an interesting change to the dynamic generally coming. So let, let's see if we can do something, you know, Different. changes on all fronts. Yeah. It could be very interesting. If he's as half a good as mature companion as Madeline Smythe was on Big Finish, he'll be doing bloody well. Or Wilf. Well, yeah. Frankly, Bernard Cribbins in both incarnations, because um, when I first heard Bradley Walsh, I was thinking, oh, sort of like Policeman Tom in um, Dalek Invasion of Earth. Mm. Uh, obviously the Milton Sabotsky version, not not the TV version. Mm. But I will see, you know, will it be a comedic role? Will it be an older man role i'm pretty sure he's probably not really cut out for a young woman role there are, there are people on the internet who said I, I could have actually just done with frank skinner again so yeah we shall see depends if he's how how straight he's playing it or if he's going to be a bit his on-screen persona is the geezer mm. you know that could work quite disarmingly well we, we shall see 
and and I guess the temptation really is to sort of see him being pl- you know asked to play that kind of character, something that's a bit comforting and familiar in the way that Catherine Tate was probably asked along the same lines as well. Not that comforting and familiar is quite how I would have described a noble, but yes, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, a steadying influence, if if just to help reassure those who might be a bit startled with what's all going on. Hmm. Hmm. So another story that's been going around for a little bit is regarding David Bradley's first Doctor in the Christmas special. He, he will be playing the first Doctor in the Christmas special. Yeah, do catch up. Um, and... <laughs> The story going that the way that Moffat's written the first Doctor is as a crotchety, sexist old git, basically. I don't know. You're the one more intimately familiar with uh, with old Doctor Who than I am, Dave. But well, I don't know because the problem I have with that is I I don't see that. Mm. But it's a, it's a bit like Trout and all my first Doctor experiences front loaded. You know, I, I've not done the grand rewatch. I've watched everything, sort of, or listened to everything once over the years, but I've not actually sequentially watched them all the way through. Mm. I've started trying to do that again, but it's just trying to find the time. So I'm season one is my Hartnell, just like with Trout and season six is the Troughton you see because for so long that was all the Trout you could see, mm-hmm. and so. Maybe there is a shift, and later Hartnell is a bit more of a grumpy get. But if they're going for a recognisable version of Hartnell, it would be a bit strange to sort of hew so close to a Hartnell, which is not really accessible by virtue of being sort of in an audio format. That tends to be a bit of an off-putter for... Yeah, but how how accessible is Hartnell really for people who haven't watched the classic series? I mean, I don't see a spike in DVD sales of The 10th Planet... Mm. As a result of the Christmas special. I, I, I think 50 years on from Hartnell leaving the role. I, and again, we are talking about hearsay here. And I could mm. believe that maybe Moffat will bring an interpretation of his remembrance of Hartnell rather than evidential Hartnell, you could say. But it's a long way to go back to any evidence. And as to, to as many people watching now, David Bradley is the first Doctor more than William Hartnell. Mm. But I guess... If it is true, and that portrayal is sort of being worked on, then, yeah, I'm not really sure I go along with to sort of say, well, this is the catch-all, this is the version of the, the first Doctor we're going to use in the 21st century. Sure, there's, there's an argument for sort of setting up as a contrast to the modern Doctor of Capaldi, mm-hmm. who, you know, is himself prickly and difficult to get to know, but as much a product of this age as, as Hartnell presumably was a product of the 60s and 50s yeah but i hadn't heard this rumor before you mentioned it mm. but i'm just in my head i'm wondering are they actually bringing hartnell to the screen rather you know the the anecdotal stories of hartnell the man to the screen mm. rather than his doctor. the first doctor yeah exactly so i don't know i, I while there's a contrast to see there uh, i i think we might have to take a suck it and see approach and mm. And, and if, you know, on the moment of death, he says Susan Chick the fornicator and that's that's going to be it. Well, OK, fair enough. But yeah. I, I know there are that many people who got pissed off with the Doctor Who shtick mm. uh, at the end of last season. I wonder if maybe that's it's a knee jerk reaction to that kind of thinking. I don't know. I'm willing to give Stephen Moffat the benefit of the doubt for his last ever episode. And the steering wheel changes when the new season starts again and you can forget it the same way we've all forgotten the the the, the, 
the issues <laughs> of the RTD era. Yes. We wait and see. I think it's going to have to be a suck it and see. But both these things are hearsay. So, mm. don't know. You know, that's the tune we hum um, mm. between seasons, really. But in terms of evidence of things to come, we do actually have something we can look at and maybe draw a few conclusions, possibly, maybe. Because this week, Peter and I have watched the movie Attack the Block from mm-hmm. 2011. Yes, indeed. But we're a bit new to this. We're going to see how this f- flies. But Attack the Block is a 2011 British... Now, it's noted on Wikipedia as a sci-fi comedy. Mm. Um, I think we'll probably discuss that in a bit. I think. Directed and produced by Nera Park. Of Spaced Fame, yep. Spaced Fame. Joe Cornish, who is part of a, a two-person sort of stand-up presenting group in the UK, who I, I'm afraid I know nothing about. Yes, it's Adam and Joe show, which I don't think we ever got in New Zealand. but um, yeah. It rings a bell, but I can't put my finger on it. Our British fan is probably screaming at us right now, but I've seen some of his stuff, and he's really mm. good. He does a fantastic Bowie impersonation. But I actually did bone up on a little bit of Adam and Joe over the weekend as well, and, eh, you know, it's 2000s comedy. It, but, and basically the premise is that alien invaders raid a council estate in South London on Guy Fawkes Night. And it's up to the young local inhabitants to fight off the attack on the block. Mm. But important, or more interesting to us now, because it's a starring role for Jodie Whittaker, our new Doctor, and Mm. John Boyega, who's sort of in a other science fiction franchise. Absolutely, for those two. Of course, you know, some other familiar faces now. Nick uh, Frost, of course. Mm. Uh, with a small role. And um, now I'm going to attempt a pronunciation, Dave, so stand back. Franz Drame, who looked a little bit like John Boyega to me. I mean, their faces were distinct oh, right, yes, that yes. I could think, yeah, that's John Boyega. Of course, that's Finn. Um, but it really bugged me as to who the other guy was until I finally realised that he's Firestorm in um, the CW series. So he's in The Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, and Vixen. So he's a, uh, he's a superhero. Which is rather cool. I hadn't spotted that one because that's I've not been following that. The one that was giving me that those vibes mm. was Luke Treadaway, yes. who played the uh, weeded up university student. <laughs> he was the local knowledge. Anyone suffering from middle class white boy syndrome, there's <laughs> one now. It's not him. His twin brother plays Frankenstein on Penny Dreadful. Oh, really? Yes, I was sitting there banging my head against the table going who are you i can see it now yeah mm. a little bit of cult spin off there as well because he was in uh, clash of the titans oh okay I, I haven't actually seen the new clash of the titans maybe we should do that next if, if anyone likes this podcast <laughs> most of the uncast were then all relative unknowns mm. many of them were local to the area and were from local drama classes in many ways it was a break for role for many of them mm, definitely do you think it showed in the performances at all no, I didn't have any issues with the performances. I think they, they all did well with the story they had. I do have some issues with the film, but I'm just going to bite my tongue for a moment. <laughs> the movie is set in a fictional South London mm. neighbourhood around Brixton. Generally Brixton, yeah. They have some nice creature effects in the film. Mm-hmm. As far as I can tell from Wikipedia, it wasn't a great commercial success. It didn't break even. Oh, did it not? Budget of eight million and a box office of about four point one. Ooh! But critically, it was very well received. Mm. Um, and I'm not going to read out the critical responses on Wikipedia. I would 
venture to say possibly on the strength of recent news and also recent movie blockbusters its tail might grow again it, it it might but i don't see it growing four million no no oh, that's a shame but again I'm, i don't believe everything you're reading on the internet but it's on wikipedia <laughs> What did you think of the film, Peter? I enjoyed it. I only watched it the one time. Visually, I I found a lot to enjoy with regards to the aliens. They were really unconventional. I can't remember whether I read this somewhere or whether it was just my impression at the time, but they reminded me of the aliens on the Space Invaders cabinets. Oh, yeah, okay. I hadn't thought of that, but you're bang on the money, yes. And... um, the fact that you've so very rarely, outside of Star Wars, of course, you so very rarely see a hairy alien. Normally, with these tropes sort of hove towards the slimy, the scaly, the glassy, you know, the reptilian, mm. you know, tentacles and so forth, uh, and claws. Whereas these are great hairy beasties, really, mm. uh, with glowing teeth, which is a great effect because it's, it's that sort of gotcha where you think, ah, oh, glowing eyes, but no, it's the yeah. mouth. So I really enjoyed that. But I did also appreciate a lot of the sort of the, the turning of the tale, the fact that, you know, our heroes did not start off being heroes. And in fact, following Jodie Whittaker's character down the main street, he'd have every reason to sort of empathise with her and see these guys mm. as the threat. But of course, you know, there's a story to be told from that point. I should put two cards on the table, perhaps, mm. before leaping in myself. The first was, I actually thought this was a different movie. <laughs> oh, <laughs> In 2011, there was another film called Darkest Day, which involved aliens switching out the lights and invading Moscow. Oh, I've seen that. I haven't seen it, but I remember seeing the ads around the same time Attack the Block came out. Yeah. And in my head, sort of, they were both the same movie. And it was only as I was halfway through the film going, I think I've got this wrong, which is probably a good thing because Darkest Day apparently is pants and this is well received. Yeah, I saw Darkest Day for two reasons. One, it was on telly later oh, okay. and the other thing was that it had Olivia Thruby in it from um, Dread. So oh, Judge right. Okay. She's core cast, but the movie's effects and so forth are not a patch on Attack the Block, really. And it's not like Attack the Block looks like it was done for a great amount of money. I mean, eight million is not a big budget in pounds. No. But they've achieved a fair bit with it. You know, if you stop and have a think of the film, you can see where where the economies are made with sets mm. and with cast. You know, it's a very small cast, really. Mm. And a small location. And a small location. And the alien effects are effective, but they're not the Millennium Falcon flying through the sky. Mm. They're probably very good, mostly achieved practically, I think, with things like the teeth and the, the blacking out digital mask or something. Mm. But um, the second problem I have with the film, and it, it you probably know what I'm talking about, Peter. I remember many years ago when it came out, the guys at the Black Dog podcast talking about it. And their one gripe rang in my head when I was started watching the film, and it took me a long time to get over the fact, they're little shits. <laughs> they really are. You, you know, can't you know. say that about Black Dog podcast, Dave. That's, that's no, I'm not, I'm not saying that. But no, uh, I found it took me mm-hmm. a long time to get over not wanting the aliens to eat our so-called heroes. Maybe it's because I'm a grumpy old kid. I don't know, but I can, I, I can see what they're trying to do with the, you know, start them out as the anti-heroes. Mm. I felt the lippy one made lots of very salient points, like, mm-hmm. where's your boyfriend? Why is he helping kids in another country? Why can't he just do that here? Mm. But the reveal of Moses' character. Mm. In his flat, you mean? 
the fact that they're all only 15 yeah. or so. <laughs> you're sitting there going, you know, that you can't blame kids for being kids, but there's points where you're wanting to hear, get off my lawn, go and get a haircut, get a job. You know, just, I appreciate if the world ever does end and we have alien invaders, there's going to be a resistance of everyone in the world, mm. regardless of standing age, race, creed, colour, uh, whatever. But you think it's a dog, so you follow it into a shed and throw firecrackers at it. Mm, and then kick it to death, yeah. Your shits. Language. Okay, you little hooligans. <laughs> I Look, I go along with that. You're not very nice people. Yeah. You're not evil people, and you're not bad people, and you're the, the, the type of children who are... Children, you're under 16, mm. you're, you annoy me. You're delinquents, yeah. The first thing we see of them is their name sprayed on a wall, of course. Well, the, the other problem I had was that you don't actually get any of their names till about halfway through the film. And by halfway through the film, I'm going, Pest is Lippy. Hmm. Dennis is Wannabe Ninja. Mm-hmm. Jerome is Specky. Yeah. Biggs is whatever. Biggs is in a bin. <laughs> Biggs is in a bin. <laughs> Ron was Ron from the start, but yeah. Bruce is Luke Terraway's character. I, I still have to look it up. Yes, yes, he is, yeah. And then you've got, uh, was it Menace and... Um... Props and Mayhem. Yeah, Props and Mayhem. There we go. Yeah. I, I, I could get Props and Mayhem, and I was really worried about Props and Mayhem because you're sitting there going, oh, I don't want anything to have pro- Props and Mayhem I like. <laughs> He's only got a water pistol. What's he going to do? <laughs> oh, I thought it was battery acid. I thought... <laughs> <laughs> they just have that little look when he says it's full of water, and you go, yeah, okay, something's going to happen there. They're, the, they're like the Frog Brothers with it was holy water and um, Lost Boys. Lost Boys, yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But I found that was a real challenge with the movie was to actually get my head into a situation where I actually liked any of the characters. Mm, and, yeah. and I found it very hard to invest in the the roles. And like I said, Alex Ismail as Pest, I think we were, you were asking before about, do you think, did you notice anything with the cast being young? And no, and I thought he actually did really well because he actually got the pathos of certain jokes and lines, which mm. I found much more effective than the reveal with Moses, like I said. I think I would agree. It did take me a while to sort of get around to the idea that, you know, these guys are worth following Mm. uh, as characters. Uh, I think uh, I remember the moment when Jerome put on his glasses and I thought, ah, okay, (laughs) we're going to see a slightly more vulnerable side. As soon as someone puts glasses on, they're either going to be really smart or they're going to be evoking sympathy. It just Mm. seems to be a movie shorthand. Yeah, then, of course, you know, the, the more goes on with Moses. Even Buis, early on in Ron's flat, he sort of says, oh, you know, they're all quite sweet, really, aren't they? <laughs> and I don't think Ron's convinced. As they're sorting out a drug deal. Yes. <laughs> no. <It's, laughs> I appreciate there's a world and a story to tell there, but I, I, I don't criticise the film for it because, mm. you know, that, that has to be part of the story you're telling. But it just made it very hard for me to be rooting for the team. Well, I think I think to be fair, the movie was with us some of the way. Of course, um, Moses says to uh, Samantha mm. when they're sort of both locked up in the paddy wagon, he says, "Aren't you going to thank me for saving you?" And she says, "My fucking hero." Yeah. <laughs> sort of thing. So yeah, okay, we're not immediately going to flick the switch on this. Once I sort of started looking at the film a bit like that, and I appreciate that's probably a bit of a hard hard line to take. There are other things about it, and I said before I wouldn't read the reviews off Wikipedia, but I saw this right at the end. Hmm. Mark Commode gave a mixed review saying he didn't dislike the film, but wanted it to be funnier and needed to be scarier. Hmm. And I think that's, I I did wonder that at points, it sort of fell between the posts of what it wanted to be in places. 
Mm, it's neither a horror nor a comedy. No, and it didn't do the redemption of the characters in a way I found satisfying. I was watching it going, this is actually an episode of Doctor Who at 80 minutes. And, and we sort of discussed before we did started recording, would we sort of give a plot summary? And it's like, well, not really, because the plot's a lot of running around, really, and mm. fighting the monsters off. And that's great for a, a sort of a slasher horror sort of teen movie episode of, what was the show um, about the, the kids who got superpowers? Misfits. It felt like an episode of Misfits or an episode of Class or a double episode of those stretched a bit. It's about the same vintage of Misfits, isn't it? Mm. As bows, as mm. saviors. And I don't think it's a problem with any of the acting. I think that you, you asked the question before. Were you happy with the acting? Were you... I, I, I warm to it. I think in the early scenes, there are a couple of readings there that seemed a little bit stilted, but they disappeared once things got a little bit more active and once everybody started moving around and reacting and it was less of a a line delivery. Are they meant to be a bit stilted when they're young and full of bravado too? Yeah, maybe a little bit gauche. Mm. Yeah. Sort of going back to what you were saying about them being sympathetic characters and, and you know, the encounter in the shed. They were difficult scenes to convey because carrying around a dead alien on their backpack, <laughs> just sort of showing it off to people as they're heading back to the... Oh, that I could buy into because that's what teenage boys would do. Yeah. You know, boys would find something dead and bring it home and scare their sisters with it. Yep. But we're in the realms of they've got enough explosives on them on Guy Fawkes Night to kill something in a shed. Mm. They're, they're, they're the worst elements of the Reasley twins solemnly swearing they're up to no good. <laughs> I enjoyed the movie, don't get me wrong, but mm. there was something just didn't fire for me. And part of it was the characters and part of it was, yeah, either it should be funnier or it should be scarier or it should be more focused on the redemption of of moses or you know the only redemption moses gets is a bit of a smile at the end really Mm. you know uh, i don't know it's a good film but i don't think i'm going to watch it again in a hurry Mm. not not because i don't want to but just because well there's probably something better out there to watch do you think it subverted the types enough no i think it played to the types Mm. i think it 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 said there's still diamonds in the rough but let's show them in the rough but again that's the story it wanted to tell us about an alien invasion in a council block. I, uh, I, I did love the name. Of, of course. Of the, yes. the Wyndham Estate. I thought that yeah. was a lovely... A lovely um, and was there a re- reference to Ballard as well? Oh, there might have been. I, I loved um, Jodie Whittaker's door being a blue wooden panel door. I was sitting there going, someone, <laughs> someone knew something even back yeah. then. Well, the Wyndham Estate, and of course, you know, it starts on a night where things are falling from the sky and everybody's been distracted. Yes, exactly. It's very Day of the Triffids. It is very Day of the Triffids. It's from the same year as Super 8. Have you seen Super 8? No, I haven't seen Super 8. Uh, Again, probably should, but I'm sort of waiting for the next season of Stranger Things. Yeah, yeah, obviously there's a chord between those two. Yeah. And the the common link is going back to, you know, the, the, the 80s, the time of the Frog Brothers and... Those other hoodies on BMX bikes, um, the mm. kids from ET, and of course, Attack the Block has been compared to ET as what if ET was bad? ET had a a better story. This is a run around in a tower block. Oh yes, yeah, I, I know. But but yeah. well, in, in terms of in terms of Sorry. adventuring kids on BMX bikes, Side the tracks. other side of that is yeah, is something a lot more urban, um, mm. and urban with a small U, not a big U, and you know. Kids on bikes, up to no good, 
is not always a uh, a comforting image. No, no, and and I found that, and again, maybe that's a problem with me rather than the film. Get off my lawn. <laughs> Should we talk about the blue box shaped elephant in the room? Yes, Jodie Whittaker. Hmm. There are a few bits I was looking at, going, oh yeah, okay, that's cool. So, you know, sometimes you watch a, a film and go, oh, that actor could be a good doctor. Mm. I didn't feel that now, but part of that could be me still just getting my head around Jodie Whittaker as a doctor. I, you know, it's acting, darling. Maybe it's not a role where she's testing those acting chops that she'll be using next year. Mm. When do you see an actor being doctorish? Because I wonder whether we see that more in the lines of a sort of a, a lighter comedic type role. Possibly. Or a, a more... I mean, here she is essentially playing a victim. Mm. Um, not not a powerless victim. She goes on to no, do no. stuff. But it's not a doctorish sort of position. Actually, well, she's I a think, nurse. Well, true. But <laughs> I, to, to go back to what you're saying, the Bulis character. Yeah. I was watching him going, oh, he's doing like a Matt Smith doctory thing. Mm. When I was trying to work out who he was, I was thinking of Fantastic Beasts and that sort of quirky... Slightly skittery, Eddie Redmayne, yeah, type role. Mm. So I think looking at it, going, oh, is that a doctorish role? You're sort of limited by the past ten, fifteen years of what a doctorish role's been, mm. and they can bring something new to it completely. And I, I think we need to see more Jodie Whittaker things too. You know, it's, it's it wasn't her audition piece. So actually, on that note, and deviating slightly, you've been watching. Trust me? No, no, I haven't yet. I'm afraid not. No. Have you? No, not no, yet. <laughs> but that could, that could be an interesting one because there she's front and centre as someone uh, blagging her mm. way into something, which is more of a doctory thing. So, and, mm. and who knows what they're going to do with the, the character. You know, I, I don't think she'll do a Matt Smithy, Peter Capaldi, David Tennanty type thing you know she's she's good and she's lower class and she's northern as christopher Rickelson would say maybe that's <laughs> the line we should be following yeah how, how about you did you what did you think oh you know she acquitted herself well with an action role mm-hmm. and was a believable character mm-hmm. um she you know in, the, in that early scene of the mugging i watched it by myself but i was thinking well if the missus walked in right now she'd probably be thinking this is a drama about a woman who gets mugged and the aftermath there well, in some ways it is, yes. Well, it is, but that's not really the story. And it, she's good. I mean, the the script didn't really call on her to dig deep. Mm. Well, I don't think it called on anyone to really do that. I, again, it lacks a bit of depth. Mm. And I, I go back to the old example of have, you have aliens that don't talk mm. and are just a threat in Doctor Who stories for the first Doctor's adventure to give the other characters the scope to develop around that threat. Mm-hmm. And you build the character around the response to the threat. Not you don't focus on the threat; you focus on the other characters. And didn't really see that in Attack the Block that much. It was more a knee-jerk reactions all the way rather than mm. a fight and flight. Even the whole thing with the pheromones. I sort of twig that's going to be an issue as soon as you said, "Oh, so, yeah, someone just sits there watching the Discovery Channel all day." Mm. About five minutes in, and then it's sort of going, "Ah, yeah, okay." Then it pops yeah. up and you go, oh, yeah, right, I see you. Yeah, as soon as the moth comes on with her remains, I think, okay, remembering that. <laughs> Shame it wasn't Jodie Whittaker's character who spotted that. Well, 
then the stoner character has nothing to do. They're, they're all a little bit one note. Mm. Your, your job is to stand here and be the comic relief. Your job is to be the human threat mm. and run around with a gun and get eaten by the monsters. You know, it's, mm. it's all... It's not, it's not badly done, but it's, it's not... There's nothing new there. It's all done by some pretty traditional numbers. And there it is. <laughs> I'll shut up. <laughs> Have you anything else to say? Um, I, I enjoyed it for what it was. It's not, it's not a far-reaching, in-depth movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a pretty confident debut from Cornish, who's obviously gone on to bigger and better things, particularly in scripting, mm-hmm. um, Tintin and Ant-Man and so forth. Mm-hmm. There's been muttering about a possible follow-up, uh, which I would not be averse to no no definitely not if they can afford john boyega now and you know didn't outstay its welcome i think maybe like you dave i won't rush to watch it again but it might be a guilty pleasure from you know one night i'd watch our mysterious nurse sam turn up to take on alien threats Mm. and maybe that's the best thing (laughs) that's the best result we're looking for well there we are (laughs) you got it with her wide boyfriend at london friends yeah cool so, those are our opinions, and if you didn't like them, we have more, don't we, Dave? We do, we do. We have feedback, because, much to our surprise, we have more than one listener. <laughs> I'll start with my friend of the pod, Joanne Millen. I believe it's in Australia. Oh, and before we start, um, apologies to everyone. We've not read lots of feedback before, and I <laughs> suspect it's actually a harder art than it has every right to be. Anyway. Uh, Joanne writes, Attack the Block isn't a great film. Taxi Driver is a great film, but it's way better than it has any right to be. Many flicks which attempt to mix genres fail in every one. See every $80 million romantic comedy Hollywood has ever made. But this is supposed science fiction film combines horror, action and humour to such an effect that it can entertain fans of all three. Film is a visceral medium and it should provoke an emotional effect. Attack the Block works because the horror is actually scary and the action is pretty exciting and the comedy at least makes you chuckle. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with it makes you chuckle. I, mm. There were no belly laughs in there. No, good, some good quotable lines. Mm. <laughs> you think that's a dog? You go out and feed it, chum. <laughs> it's raining. It's raining golems. Writer and director Joe Cornish avoids the problems of many low-budget sci-fi films by setting the action in as a dismal and ordinary setting as possible, rather than some far distant planet or time. The downbeat, brutalist believability of the setting and characters helps us accept the extraordinary intrusion, but the concrete and mental jungle of walkways and the corridors in the block aren't a million miles away from the Nostromo, and the claustrophobia is always more powerful than than sheer scale. The shark gorilla monster could have looked ridiculous, but its 50s man-in-a-suit vibe is still way more convincing than the vapid CGI bigger-budget film would have. Like all the best indie films, Attack the Block makes a virtue of its limitations rather than overstretching its ambition and falling short of the mark. The scrappy protagonists are even more convincing, relatable enough to be engaging, but also tough enough to succeed. There's nothing special about watching squads of heavily armoured space marines fight aliens. That's their job. Agreed. Mm. Mm. But equally, the motley youths who prowl the block aren't the usual bunts of cutesy, tousled-haired kids who somehow defeat the alien invasion between cello lessons either. Mm. That's a fair point. Although, I, I, I did like the two cutesy ones. <laughs> <laughs> These youths, and refreshingly, they are young, rather than 30-year-olds pretending to be 16, 
and are less than likeable at the start, giving some space mm. for genuine character arcs. For actors with little or no experience, they're all good. But John Boyega is particularly outstanding as Moses, their aptly named leader. The banter they're given is funny without lurching into go by me governor territory, and the fight scenes actually make sense, instead of a mishmash of impossible video game graphics and angles that so many directors hurl at random at jaded audiences these days. Indeed, every aspect of the direction is remarkably assured for a first film, with an original modern eye supported by solid appreciation of traditional filmmaking. I don't know how many Spielberg, Cameron or Carpenter videos Cornish wore out as a teenager, but I'm guessing his local blockbuster did a roaring trade. <laughs> oh man, blockbuster shit! <laughs> mm. With so many pointless science fiction epics being made to so little effect, it's refreshing to see a ragamuffin film like this succeed. There's no opening act of turgid expedition, no hand-wringing social commentary bogging down the fun, no vapid climax of weightless CGI. It's tough, it's cheeky, and it gets straight to the point. Ordinary people can do extraordinary things when thrown at the deep end and can choose to sink or swim. Whatever its message, the film is supposed to entertain you, and this film entertains in spades. Bravo. Thank Dave. you very much, Joan. <laughs> Actually, that, I think, is a really good counterpoint to my being mm. a grumpy old git. I like the sentiment that everybody can be a hero, and that's a very who sentiment, of mm. course. Mm. So, uh, yeah, good observation. Yeah, and, and I like the comment about the fight scenes making sense, because I hadn't thought about it, but that's very right. I mean, there is that scene where they've got all the smoke in the corridor, mm. and you're wandering blind, just waiting for those teeth to show up. Hmm. And, yeah, there's no um, plastic alien in a clothes-drying machine you know, flying about CGI limbs failing there. I, I know, I think that's that's a really good point. Hmm. Yeah, fantastic. Shall I go on to the next one? Yes, please do. And I apologise, Joanne, for absolutely mangling your feedback. Um, yes. I have a funny feeling this might be a theme. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see how I go. So mine's from Neil Laracy. First time contributor, Dave. <laughs> Are they all? <laughs> Are they all? Uh, and he says, some thoughts for your podcast. I saw Attack the Block in the cinemas as I was and still am a big fan of Adam Buxton and Joe Cornish. Adam Buxton, that's it. I thought it was a brilliant B-movie of a film with a great funny script, genuinely smart effects and some great performances. John Boyega rightly gets most of the plaudits for his magnetic performance of a character rarely seen on TV and certainly not regularly portrayed as a hero. It was the second thing I'd seen Jodie Whittaker in, the first being the superb Perio's Bounty. And while her role is a fairly straight one, I thought she held her ground. Mm-hmm. More than anything else, however, I will remember the film for the beautiful, unsettling and innovative monsters. They are terrifying, designed almost as if they are made of the void itself, or Vanta Black, looking like a hole in the universe of the teeth. And what teeth? The only truly visible part of the beasts, glowing, unearthly teeth that look like they could rip a shark in half. They are terrifying and wonderfully realised. All in all, I loved Attack the Block. I'd recommend it to anyone. Yours, Neil. Excellent. Thank you very much, Neil. Oh, mm. I, I think I'm in the minority here. <laughs> <laughs> we, we all like the monsters. Well, we all like the dark monsters. I'm not too sure about the first one. It was a little Peter Jackson on a budget. Mm. But then, you know, as, as we saw, reasons. Well, that's true, yes. My next one is a feedback from friend of the pod, David Lawrence. Hey. Um, yeah, it's a little long, so again, please bear with me because I'm probably going to mangle it. David writes, I enjoyed Attack the Block, although if I weren't watching it in the anticipation of Jodie Whittaker as being the new Doctor Who and of John Boyega's work in Star Wars films to come, I probably wouldn't have engaged with it as much. 
It gives me a totally different perspective on Boyega. I didn't know the first time I saw The Force Awakens that he wasn't American. I don't think you'd watch it thinking, this is Jodie Whittaker's audition to play Doctor Who in the way you get Eccleson in The Second Coming or Tenant to Casanova. But she's got great speed and hard arseness to her. Actually, yeah, she's not going to be a doctor to brook any silliness if this is yeah. anything to go by. Good point. I'm not sure what I think the film is trying to be. To me, it isn't funny enough to be a comedy, and it's not scary enough to be a horror, and it isn't science fiction enough to be science fiction. The alien invasion is conveniently explained in a couple of sentences ten minutes before the end, just so Moses has enough information to be able to blow the aliens up. Possibly the massive genre mashup is the point, mm. though the film certainly seems stylistically on par with loud, fast, urban UK films of the 2000 and noughts. And the social commentary on racial points isn't anywhere near as deep enough if it turns out that was the point of the story. I'm not sure it was, but okay. Uh, well, I'm, uh, well I, I don't know. It's one of the things you're sitting there going, if it wasn't the point, th they've got too many sort of compelling bits like the bit in the room and a couple of lines. Uh, it may not be the point of the story, but it's definitely an angle they could have tweaked up a bit. Yes, but I mean, it's it's if you're going to say it's a it's a movie that invokes that argument against you know ethnicity, then you could just as easily say it's about age, or it's about social class. Well, all three are melange of you know it's not mm. about any one thing. It's about you know the society differences, yeah, the, the socio-economic differences. But I don't know. I, I there's something there, and you want to maybe poke at it more. I don't know. They just I came away from that the block not not disliking it, but just thinking it could be, as David says, it could be more of a comedy with more comedy, mm. or it could be more science fiction, or it could be more of a social commentary. Or it falls between stools. It falls between the stools of the mashup. It is not that it's not enjoyable. Mm. Anyway, David also <laughs> says, yes, please. <laughs> And I apologise for mangling the feedback, but that might be the way we do things. In terms of Jodie Whittaker, after some initial complicated feelings, I am basically just very, very excited about the idea of her playing the Doctor. Cool. While I've never been of the that's it, I will never watch the show again outrage of the idea, I've always felt that regardless of regeneration or alien physiognomy, the Doctor is male. And changing that status quo would be weird as changing the gender of Batman. But when I think about it objectively, about a show whose lead actor changes every three years, I think there is not a single male option that would have been as interesting or as worthwhile or as exciting. And Jodie Whittaker is interesting and worthwhile and exciting. Hmm. Do you remember the line in the Mark Gatiss sketch in the 1999 Doctor Who night? I'm trying to forget it because I think I know the line. <laughs> Where they're pitching the show to the head of the BBC and he says... Well, cast William Hartnell, then Patrick Trout, then John Pertwee, and then Tom Baker, and then any old <clears throat> with an equity card will do. I know Mark Gatiss apparently later regretted that line, but it did speak a, a sort of truth that post-Tom Baker, each new Doctor was cast either as a reaction for or a reaction against what had preceded them. Mm. Because those first four Doctors covered such different spectrums in a way that the next three or four didn't. And since 2005, 21st century Doctor Who has likewise already covered every possible iteration. Mm. In Christopher Eccleston, they cast someone who's a big star, with no obvious doctorish qualities, and had him play the role essentially as himself. 
In David Tennant, they cast someone with obvious doctorish qualities and let the role turn him into a star he already was well on the way to being. In Matt Smith, they cast a complete newcomer because, like Peter Davison, that's the only way you could follow up a role-defining performance such as David Tennant's. And in Peter Capaldi, they cast a star with obvious doctorish qualities and had him play it as a character role, not as himself. To compare it with the classic series, it's almost as if the 21st century, the casting had gone Pertwee, followed by Tom Baker, followed by a hybrid Peter Davidson, Patrick Trout, and followed by Hartnell. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm, hang on, let me digest that. Mm. <laughs> I see where he's coming from, yes. Where could they have possibly gone casting a male actor after Eccleston Tennant Smith Capaldi? The only contenders are a bunch of second-rate David Tennant Matt Smith types, and I don't think I saw a single male name in the mix that interested me. Hmm. I want every new Doctor to be original and unique, and not Doctorish. David Tennant Matt Smith impersonators. I feel the any old <coughs> with an equity card <laughs> is where the 21st century Doctor Who would have quickly gone had it been a man cast as the 13th Doctor. Hmm. Okay, that bit wasn't about Attack the Block at all, but based <laughs> on what I've seen of Jodie Whittaker so far, I don't really remember the first season of Broadchurch much, but as well as Attack the Block, I've recently seen her episode of Black Mirror, which I think she was great in, and if you haven't seen the footage of she and Christopher Eccleston on stage as Antigone and Ceron in the National Theatre, you have to go look at that. I think hmm. she's a super actor, and for me, Eccleston as a doctor proved you don't actually have to have doctorish qualities to play the role well. You just have to be a super actor. Cool. So much to think about here. Yeah, but, but he's right, actually. He's, he's got a very good point that for the show to develop, this is something we've got to do. Mm. And my comments about not seeing her you know, audition for the Doctor are meaningless because that's not what it's about. Mm. And it, yeah, yeah I, I, I think that's a, some good takeaway points. Cool. We've spoiled the choice. I have one last piece of feedback. Excellent. John Priddle. Oh, hello, John. Hello, Friend John. of the pod. Yes. Friend of Doctor Who in general. <laughs> Hi, Dave and Pete. Attack the Block. Brilliant. I hadn't seen it when it first came out, but it's a tradition with me that each time there's a new Doctor, I seek out other films, TV series the chosen actor has been in, just to get a vibe from them by seeing their other roles. The reviews I'd read for ATB were all very positive and enthusiastic. I was able to find a copy in the bargain bin at my local JB Hi-Fi. I paid $4 for it. Only a million more copies like that and they'll break even. I'm off to find one, I think. <laughs> it was great. It was technically an indie film as it was done very cheaply and quickly. Not that it shows. I really liked it. Jodie's great in it. She demonstrates that she can do the horror, SF, action, comedy that is needed in playing the Doctor. The film is also what put John Boyega on the map. He's now apparently doing some other sci-fi franchise thing, which I doubt anyone has heard of. Mm. Cheers, John. Thank you, John. Now we won't be covering it, I don't think. <laughs> well, thank you, everybody, for your feedback. Yeah, that, this has been a bit of a new exercise and just trying to do things a bit differently, but mm. I think I've been solidly trounced by the positive feedback the film's got. Oh, no. It's a broad church. Ba-boom. Any final thoughts? Any final thoughts on the film, Peter? Uh, certainly a lot to go on. I think I might check out the local JB Hi-Fi myself and see if there's a, a cheap copy to be had. Um, I'd sort of watched a rather jumpy-bumpy YouTube. Oh, right. Okay. Yep. And I'm still taking in David's comments about um, sort of the rehearsed trip back to Hartnell that we may be undergoing in the current series. It's compelling. Especially now that they're both sort of bumping into each other at the end of the season. I, I, yeah. 
because I've done the exercise in my head, and you've probably done it. If knew who was old, who where does so and so start? Where does? But I, I'd never thought of actually turning it on its head like that. Mm, he's clever. But the thing to take away from it is you don't need an actor to play themselves playing the Doctor, mm. which is what they've done from Troughton, basically. Mm. So yes, um, this this could be interesting. Shout out also to Joanne's comments about Carpenter movies. Of course, one of the debts apparently this movie pays is Assault on Precinct 13. And the soundtrack goes a little bit Carpenter in places as well. So that's quite cool. And Neil, yes, I, I really like the monsters too. Yes, no, no they're, they're standout, standout monsters, yes. Now on the show, we'll go to our traditional, if anyone's interested. <laughs> after all that, after us mangling their feedback, bring to the table. Peter, mm. have you got something to bring to the table this week? I do, Dave, and uh, we're going back to the world of Tharg in 2000 AD, because this week I started listening to a podcast which I think will be very up your bracket, uh, having recently done your prog slog, and it's called Space Spinner 2000. Mm-hmm. It is a jaunt through 2080, five progs per episode, and it's hosted by two gentlemen by the name of Conrad and Fox, and they are American. So you've got a really interesting um, spectacle of not just people discovering 2000 AD, but people from the States discovering a very British institution. So their takes on it are really interesting, irreverent, and at times very funny. You may well be surprised on what they latch onto and also immediately reject. At five episodes of pop, it's going to take them a while to get past the training wheel period with things like... Archangel and Invasion UK, you know, the oh, Invasion oh, don't, don't, don't you worry about Invasion. That's one of the immediate hits. They love Bill Savage. They've got a long wait till Bill Savage comes back. Um, so I'm in the late 1400s now with the prog slog, and yeah, yeah the return of Bill Savage is an interesting read. They do latch onto Dread. They know about Dread, of course, but Dan dear, ooh, ooh, ooh. Well, you know my thoughts on Dan Deere yeah. in 2018. Uh, Mark 1, I think they I think they get along with pretty well. They love Harlem Heroes. Interestingly, I think sports-themed comics aren't a thing in the States. Oh, so, okay, yep. Whereas, you know, the UK goes all the way back to Tiger and, and, and mm. Roy the Rovers and everything like that, um, which is, you know, the, the itch that Harlem Heroes was scratching. Uh, and, uh, and that leaves flesh, which <laughs> they bravely say, I'm spoiling things, um, but make an argument for Old One-Eye being the most rounded female character in the early issues of 2018. Um, I have to say, I think they're right. <laughs> She's a Tyrannosaurus, folks. So, <laughs> so it's, it's been a lot of fun to listen to. Um, they are long episodes. They're about you know, 50 to 60 minutes per episode for five progs. <laughs> you get your money's worth, and I'm only into the third episode. Dreads just started the Robot Wars, so I think they're into the 50s, which probably puts them around the 250 mark for progs. Uh, more power to their prog-reading elbows, and I think I'll stick with it. It's a lot of fun. I might have to give that a go. Hmm. Have you any thoughts for next time? Having now finished all three of Warps, I might have a little look back over the pages of the fanzine dedicated to DWM. We will be having a little hiatus, dear listener. Now the series is not on, we're probably going to go back to a monthly type schedule. Mm-hmm. So if you've got any thoughts on Vorp Vorp... Many, many thoughts. Feel free to drop us a line. 
Yes, contribute to our gargantuan social media presence at <laughs> sofageddon at gmail.com. That's one F, one G and two Ds. You can tweet us on Twitter, which is at sofageddon. We have a WordPress page, which is sofageddon.wordpress.com. And we're on Facebook. Until then, watch out for the hoodies. Yes, truth. Tr- truth, blood. <laughs> uh, I've been David. And I've been Peter. Good night. Thank you.